Good morning, New Morning Life family, and happy Resurrection Sunday. On this Sunday, the passage of scripture that I'll be coming from is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Once again, that's John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. The Bible says, But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Let me say that one more time. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have come to believe. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, and we always come first to you with thanks. That no matter what's going on in the world, we can come here and we can tune in no matter where we are, and we can worship you through social media outlets such as the one we're watching right now. Father God, I thank you for putting the words in my mouth. And I pray that these words will not fall upon deaf ears. And I pray that it will convict the hearts and minds of the people to have courage in spite of all that's going on. Lord, we pray for all the sick and shut in. We pray for everyone that's going through their individual private struggles because we want them to know and want you to show them that you are still God and God all alone. Lord, you're powerful. Lord, you're mighty. Lord, you're omnipotent and omniscient. Lord, you're Jehovah Rapha, a healer. And Lord, your Jehovah Shalom, a peacemaker. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be a manifestation of healing and peace to those that are listening and viewing. Lord, I thank you. I need you and I love you. In your son Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I entitled this one, No Room for Doubt. No Room for Doubt. You see, I know it's Resurrection Sunday, and typically on Resurrection Sundays, you'll get passages of scripture that focuses on Jesus not being in the tomb, or Mary going to the tomb and not seeing Jesus' body and running back and talking to Peter, or Mary talking to, and this is Mary Magdalene, talking to the angels, and the angels asking her why is she crying and all of that. But on this Sunday, I'm going to preach a very familiar text in an unfamiliar way. We're facing very difficult times and untraditional times. And although we're facing untraditional times, this is our traditional time of year, through it being Resurrection Sunday. So although this is an untraditional time, I'm going to preach a word that I think speaks specifically to this time. And hopefully it'll register in the hearts and minds of the viewers, and those watching at home. So on this Sunday, I'm preaching about Doubting Thomas. Thomas was known by the, the characterization of being a doubter because he didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe at first that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. 
Now, ironically, I preached a sermon about this before. It was a little short sermon back in seminary. And I entitled that sermon, Room for Doubt. I wasn't advocating that we doubt the resurrection of our Savior, but what I was trying to do was show that we should give Thomas a little grace. And I said that we should give Thomas a little grace because it was really in his lack of belief that we were able to truly see Jesus' power. You see, what I was advocating for was the fact that our Savior makes room for us even when we have a lack of belief. Now this Sunday morning, I want to change my previous theological convictions to where I one time named the sermon, Room for Doubt. At this stage, there's no room for doubt. Brothers and sisters, when times are going good and when everything was going good, I might have been able to doubt a few things. But all that we have going on in the world today, there's no room for doubt at all. You see, it's interesting how a passage of scripture at one point in our lives can mean one thing. And when we go through something and we have trials and tribulations, that same passage of scripture can have a completely different meaning in our lives. No room for doubt. You see, with this current circumstance we're dealing with, with the virus and COVID-19 and all that's going on, I realize we're in a different battle than we've been in before. And what I want you all to remember is that new battles called for sharper weapons. You see, the same scripture in one phase of life can have a different meaning in another phase of life. That's why I always like to say the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And its ability to be able to withstand the test of time is seen through how we're able to make the word relevant in our current time today. So let's go with me. Watch with me as, as, as we delve into the life of Thomas and, and get into the mindset of what he was thinking and how he was feeling. I entitled this one, No Room for Doubt. But before I get into that, let me paint a picture for you. And let me give you the context. You see, Mary is at the tomb, and she's looking for Jesus, and Jesus has been crucified on Friday. On Saturday, he's been put in the tomb, and really, he was put in the tomb Friday. He was put in the tomb Friday. He sat in the tomb all night Friday, then he sat in the tomb all day Saturday, and then on Sunday, he was resurrected. But Mary doesn't know that. She comes to the tomb, she looks in the tomb, and Jesus' body is not there. She's immediately afraid. She's frustrated. So what does she do? She goes and gets Peter. And Peter is with John. And Peter, John, and Mary, they run to the tomb. And when they run to the tomb, they look into the tomb. They don't see Jesus' body. They only see the linen cloths that he was wrapped in. Peter and John are upset. They think someone's stolen Jesus' body. So they leave out to try to figure out what to do. But Mary stays. And when Mary stays, Mary is crying and she looks back in the tomb and now she sees two angels. One angel is sitting at the head of the resting place where Jesus would have been. And the other angel is sitting at the foot and they ask Mary, why are you crying? And before Mary can answer uh, good, Jesus comes behind her. Now she's distracted and she doesn't realize it's Jesus. She thinks it's a gardener and Jesus calls her name. He calls her by name and says, Mary. Mary turns around and looks at Jesus, and she immediately gets excited. She says, Rabboni, which means rabbi, which in English means teacher. 
And she runs to Jesus in order to hug him and grasp him and, and, and show him her affection and appreciation for him being alive. He says, hold up. Don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. And he gives her instructions. He says, go back and tell the disciples what you've seen. Mary goes and tells the disciples. The disciples are in awe at this. And then the scripture says, Monday comes. Although she's told them that Jesus has been resurrected from death, the disciples are in the upper room and they're hiding with the door locked. They're afraid because they're thinking about the fact if Jesus has been crucified by the empire, what will happen to me? They thought if I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus has been killed, that means the same people that kill him probably are looking to kill me. So they're up in this upper room with the door locked, afraid, trying to figure out what to do. Jesus shows up and it says he comes through the locked door and he stands among them. And when he stands among them, he says, peace be with you. And after he declares peace, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. He said he breathes on them and gives them a bit the ability to free people of their sins. And then after that, it says that Jesus disappears and goes on and the disciples are excited now because they've seen Jesus. They've had this encounter with Jesus, and even though it seemed, or we might have thought that all the disciples were there in the text, two of the disciples aren't there. Judas isn't there, and Thomas isn't there. Judas isn't there, we know, because Judas has killed himself, because he can't live with the fact that he's betrayed his Savior. But Thomas isn't there, and I would like to make the claim that Thomas probably isn't there because he's one of those people that just likes to grieve alone. So the disciples, they go back and tell Thomas. They, they tell Thomas that they've seen the Messiah. They've seen Jesus and he's resurrected from the dead. But Thomas doesn't want to hear that. Thomas is still upset. Thomas is still in a dark place. And he says, I won't believe until I see the nail marks in his hand. He said, I won't believe until I touch the hole in his side. He said, I won't believe until I see it for myself. Now, brothers and sisters, let me talk to you a little bit about Thomas. You see, Thomas only shows up three times in John's gospel, but is characterized by one lapse of faith. You see, the two times that he shows up, he shows extreme loyalty, but the one time is what characterized the rest of his character in the story. Let me give you a little bit of Thomas's resume. We first see Thomas in John chapter 11, where he says, let us go so that we may die with him. I know what you're thinking, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. What is Thomas talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. What he's talking about is in John chapter 11 is Jesus was on his way to Judea to heal Lazarus. However, the disciples warned him about going to heal Lazarus in this particular area because the, 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 the Pharisees and the other Jews were going to stone him to death. So I don't know whether or not they were trying to protect themselves or protect Jesus, but they said, I don't think you should go back there. But Jesus isn't concerned about all of that because Jesus knows it's not his hour. And it's something about when you know whose you are and who you are and your purpose that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And Jesus knows no weapon formed against him will prosper until the current time. But it's time for him to be crucified and ascend to the Father. So he goes on anyhow. And what Thomas says as he makes his way to go is, let us go so that we may die with him. That's loyalty. 
Thomas was one of those ride or die friends. Thomas was one of those friends that would be with him to the end. And he said, let us go so that we may die with him. If that's not enough for you, let me show you here in John chapter 14. Thomas says, we do not know where you are going or how to get there. He says this after Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says this after Jesus says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And what Thomas is asking is, how can I get there, Jesus? And how can I be there with you? It's sad Thomas isn't remembered for any of those things. But Thomas is remembered for John chapter 20. I won't believe until I see and feel the wounds for myself. Brothers and sisters, this is our entry point in the text. Brothers and sisters, we often give Thomas a hard time for his disbelief, not realizing we should look at Thomas as our point of reference. Because every time we have a lapse in faith, we should go back to Thomas and give him a little grace. Because at this point in the text, Thomas is just struggling with the idea that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. At this point in the text, Thomas is struggling with the idea that the same person that he's quit a job for, the same person that he's watched get crucified on the cross, the same person that he's been riding off with, it, he said, let us go so that we may die with him. The disciples are telling him that he's resurrected from the dead. The disciples are telling him that he's come to see them, but hasn't come to see him. Thomas is a little upset because I'm sure Thomas is thinking, wait a minute, hold on, wait a second. I've been with Jesus for a long time. I, I know Jesus and, and, and I would think our relationship would be better enough for him to go see somebody else and not come and see me. Let me show you how that relates to us. Let me show you how that breaks down into our day-to-day -day lives. You ever had that feeling, though, feeling as though Jesus is blessing everybody around you? Jesus is blessing all your friends. Jesus is even blessing your enemies, you're thinking. You're thinking, now I've been faithful. I've been coming to church. I've been paying my tithes. I've been treating people right. I've been faithful. It seems as though Jesus is on everybody's corner, on everybody's street, in everybody's neighborhood, but my own. Brothers and sisters, this is our entry point when we read about Thomas. Sometimes we read about people in the Bible and they're so prophetic, they're so righteous, it almost feels as though we can never obtain that level of righteousness. But Thomas, Thomas is the common man. Thomas is the person that we can latch on to and see ourselves in when our faith gets weak. And all Thomas is saying is, I don't want to hear about somebody else's experience with Jesus. Thomas is saying, I want to feel him for myself. I want to see him show up in my life for myself. And we need to take a book or take a page out of Thomas's book because what we should learn from Thomas is that grandma's faith isn't going to save us. Dad's faith isn't going to save us. Pastor Hamilton's faith isn't going to save us. I have to have faith for myself and faith on my own. And the way you get that is kind of like Thomas Crying out and saying, Lord, I need to see you and feel you for myself. Sometimes we get to a point in our lives where we say, Lord, I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. Some of us are having serious doubts right now with all that's going on in the, with the virus. And we know that God will protect us. However, we see people dying in the news. We know that God will provide for us. However, we haven't worked in about two to three weeks or received a check. 
We know that we should love and care for our children, but the children are tearing up the house and eating up everything. Some of us are having doubts. And I think we misread Thomas or are too quick to write Thomas off when we don't look at the underlying message behind the text. Thomas is just asking for a different and deeper relationship. Thomas is just saying, Peter, other disciples, I know he came to see y'all, but I need him to come and see me. And some of us need to start praying prayers like that while we're dealing with this virus and dealing with the hardship and dealing with all that we're going through that, Lord, I know you've been going around seeing other people. I know you've been blessing other people, but please don't pass me by. Nonetheless, there's no room for doubt. The disciples now are in disarray. They tried to get Thomas to believe that they've seen Jesus Thomas says he's not going to believe until he touches the nail prints in his hand and touches his side. And after Thomas makes this uh, claim or says this, God doesn't deal with it until a week later. It says it's not until about a week later that Jesus shows up once again in the upper room, once again with the disciples, except this time Thomas is with him. What I want us to focus on is that week that Jesus didn't show up. The whole week, meaning a whole week transpired that Thomas had to sit with the reality that Jesus might have come to see the other disciples, but didn't come to see him. That's a very uncomfortable place. That's a very frustrating place. God lets Thomas sit in a place of uncertainty for a week before showing up. Brothers and sisters, that goes back to that old saying that he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. And you see, what we have to realize is that sometimes when we're sitting through hardships, sometimes we're experiencing things that don't feel good. What God is trying to show us is that through sitting in the darkness of uncomfortability, we can eventually learn to appreciate the light of his glory and his grace. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes God lets us sit in the darkness of uncomfortability so that we can appreciate the light of his glory and his grace. Some of us didn't really appreciate being able to walk around and being free and, and having the good time we had until this stay at home or stay in place was put into effect. Some of us never appreciated teachers more than we do now until we're having to teach our own kids and watch them and try to get them to stay focused on one lesson. Some of us never appreciate a teacher like we appreciate them now. Some of us were late to work every day, but now we wish we had a job to be late to. Brothers and sisters, I was just talking to Mother Halliburton yesterday or the other day, and we were talking about it. She was reminding me or telling me that Pastor Hoda once said, he said, there'll be a time that people will want to come to church but can't make it, won't even be able to go to church. And right now we are in that time where people want to come to church, but they can't come. I'm having to talk to you through live stream right now. You can't even come in here to church. I'm having to come through you to the, to the airwaves and the internet waves, but nonetheless, God is still good. This specific aspect of us having no room for doubt makes me think of my military training. You know, I have stories for days now after coming back from training. And more specifically, I think about when they gave us all the gas masks. They gave us a gas mask. And the reason they gave us a gas mask is for us to be able 
to uh, protect ourselves during chemical warfare. Now, before they gave us this gas mask, what was interesting, they told us that they had an issue with people keeping the gas mask on. So what people would do is, whether it was chemical warfare or not, or even in the training, they would have the gas mask on and it would be so uncomfortable or they didn't like the way it felt while they were breathing, they would take it off and they would be reprimanded for this, but it seemed like they just didn't get it. They, they would all, people would always want, the soldiers would always want to take the gas mask off. So what they started doing in training is exposing you to the toxic gas, it's called CS gas, so that whenever you thought about taking off the mask, you would remember what it felt like when you didn't have it on. Let me give you an example. So before we went to the gas chambers, after we got our gas mask, the weeks leading up to it, they tried to scare us. They, they were telling us if you're feeling any congestion or if you have, the, have a cold, as soon as you get in that gas chamber, you take your mask off, it's gonna clear up everything in your sinuses. Because what it causes you to do, it causes your eyes to water, it causes your nose to run. Some people, uh, based off their body type, they, they throw up and vomit. Some people are coughing profusely. And if you have scratched yourself, it can cause lesions and all kind of marks to show up on your face. And if your face is wet from sweat, it can cause your face to burn. And they were trying to scare us with all these different things. And I'll be honest, they scared a lot of people before we got to the chambers. But when we got to the chambers, to add insult to injury, it was raining that day. So we knew we would already be wet. And then when we get to the door, the building itself was like this small rectangular box and it has all these warning signs all over it. It's really intimidating. And when we get inside the gas chamber, they tell us, they file us out in two lines and they tell us to face each other. And we're looking at each other and they start having us do exercises, having us raise our arms, stretch, turn, run in place, lean this way, lean that way. And I'm thinking to myself, why are we exercising right now? Why don't we just get to the gas part? We're exercising and we're moving around. Then they tell us to face forward. Then they tell us to take our left hand, grab the jacket of the person in front of us, then take our right hand and grab the left side of the mask. Then they did a dramatic pause because you know everything's so dramatic in the military. And they had us rip our mask off. And they said, breathe in deeply. Now at first, I thought I was so covered by the blood that I didn't have any reaction. And I'm looking around thinking, I'm breathing just fine. But slowly but surely, I felt a, I smelled a faint smell that reminded me of a pine salt or something. And then my eyes started watering. Then my nose started running. And next thing you know, I started coughing and the people around me started going down. People are throwing up. People are holding on to the person in front of them for dear life. And they tell us to run outside. And mind you, remember what they said about when water hits and it causes you to burn. We run outside, our eyes start burning more. And then we realize we never need to take the mask off. And brothers and sisters, although I'm talking about masks, what I want you to see is the correlation between the fact that with God, we're covered. But without God, we're exposed to all kinds of things in the world. And when you don't have faith in God, when you doubt God, you expose yourself to all kinds of spiritual warfare. When I was in the gas chamber and when I got the gas mask, that was about chemical warfare. But brothers and sisters, that same uh, training technique, that same thing they taught us is the same thing you can learn or apply to with spiritual warfare. Sometimes God lets us sit in the darkness of, of, of uncomfortability so we can appreciate the light of his grace. Brothers and sisters, I didn't appreciate that mask more until while I had it on, until I took it off. 
When I felt the burning in my eyes, when I was coughing and my nose was running and I was just so uncomfortable, I didn't realize how important it is to keep that mask on. And brothers and sisters, we need to keep in mind how important it is to have faith in God. No room for doubt. Nonetheless, the disciples, it's the second time they're up in this room. They're up in this room and just like the first time, the door is locked. Except this time, Jesus shows up and Jesus shows up because Thomas is there. And Thomas is there and Jesus shows up and he comes through the locked door and he says, peace be with you. Just like he said the first time. See, the disciples are still scared. So that goes to show, show us that in this locked room is fear in the room. It's doubt in the room. It's confusion in the room. It's uncomfortability in the room. And they're all locked in this room. Here we go. It's symbolism in this room because they say the door is locked. The door is locked symbolizes the walls that we put up in order to protect ourselves. Sometimes we put up these walls as defenses to protect ourselves from hurt from other people. Sometimes we put up these walls to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from hurt from the world. And no matter what walls we put up, what we can gain from this in the text is Jesus steps through those walls. Jesus steps through any type of wall that you block up, put up to block out any hurt. And he steps through those walls. And the first thing that he does is say, peace be with you. Second thing that he does is he goes straight to Thomas. And when he comes to Thomas, he says, touch my hand here. Take your hand, touch my hand here. Take your hand, touch my side here. And what I want us to remember is back in the previous verses, back at the beginning of chapter 20 of John, when Mary ran to run to Jesus to give him a hug, he said, hold on, don't touch him. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. And what I want us to see is sometimes God will even amend or make sacrifices to his own will just to bring us into community. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to die for our sins, so that we could still be brought into the fold of love and community. And brothers and sisters, Jesus, as shown in this text here, has made an amendment to his previous declaration. And he says, come and touch me. Even though I told Mary not to touch me, even though people aren't supposed to touch me right now because I haven't ascended to the Father, come and touch me. Touch me where it hurts. Because I want you to know that I bleed when you bleed. I want you to know I feel pain when you feel pain. And I want you to know that I'm right there with you. Brothers and sisters, a key thing from the text that we also overlook or don't pay attention to is the fact that Thomas represents the lost sheep and Jesus represents the shepherd. The other disciples represent the other flock of sheep, but if I can recall correctly, I remember it says somewhere in Luke where there's a parable about sheep that Jesus says it's the good shepherd that will leave his sheep of about a hundred on a hill to go find that one lost sheep. And he says the good shepherd will go get that lost sheep, put that sheep on his shoulders and run back to the community of sheep and run back to his friends and rejoice and tell them that he's happy that he's found that one sheep. And brothers and sisters, as symbolic in this story with doubting Thomas, Thomas represented the lost sheep. And Jesus came back, stepped through a locked door just to show him that I love you and I feel the pain you feel. 
and you're not alone. Brothers and sisters, if you take nothing else from what I see, I want you to remember that it says in John chapter 20, specifically in verse 27, after Jesus has him touch his hand and touch his side, he specifically says, do not doubt, but believe. No room for doubt. Jesus specifically tells us, do not doubt, but believe. And that's a word for some of us today because Jesus is trying to remind us no matter what's going on in the world, do not doubt, but believe. No matter how low we get, no matter how sunken down by despair we get, do not doubt, but believe. What I want us to keep in mind during this time is that the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross and him being resurrected from the dead doesn't only symbolize him being lifted and resurrected to life from death, but also symbolizes our sins being resurrected and given to God. It also symbolizes all of our darkness, all of our sadness, everything that weighs us down through living here on this earth. Jesus takes up on that cross. There's a hymn that says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters he lifted me, now safe am I. It says, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. And the, 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 the most sacred part that I really like, it says, soul in danger, look above, Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea and billows will obey. He, your savior, wants to be saved and saved today. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that Jesus has come to save us. And Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. But first, we have to do what he says by not doubting, but believing. That means it doesn't matter whether it's a virus going on. Jesus tells us, don't doubt, but believe. That means despite not being able to go to work, that means don't doubt, but believe. That means despite you getting frustrated with your kids and wishing that you could have a teacher come and teach them for yourself so you wouldn't have to put up with them. That means don't doubt, but believe. That means despite all the sickness, all that you're seeing on the news, all of the death, don't doubt, but believe. That means even though the economy is failing right now and they don't even know how we'll put it back together. Don't doubt, but believe. Brothers and sisters, there's no room for doubt. And what we're seeing across the world should give us doubt. However, we believe in a Savior. We believe in a Savior that was living, then killed gruesomely, died and put on a cross, then put in a grave and resurrected. And the same way he resurrected from the dead, he can resurrect you from any darkness that you're feeling. Brothers and sisters, John's gospel reminds us at the end that these things were written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So brothers and sisters, I'm offering life in his name.
All you have to do is believe. Thank you for joining us this Resurrection Sunday, and God bless you. New Morning Life family, thank you once again for joining us for Resurrection Sunday. At this time, we are about to partake in communion. So, with me, I have saltine crackers and I have cranberry juice. At home, you can use bread, you can use rich crackers, you can use vanilla wafers, you can use whatever you have to represent the body of Christ. Also, in your pantry or in your refrigerator, you can use actual wine or you can use uh, water, you can use juice whatever you have to represent the body of Christ. We don't have to get technical and have the actual bread, the actual wine. Even in church, we use a modified version of what they really use. It's all about the symbolism and us celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ through participating in communion. So let us begin. Brothers and sisters, on that day as he sat down with the twelve, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And gave thanks to God for it. And then he ate it. Let us eat the body. And after that, he took the wine. He blessed it. And he drank it. But this is his body and his blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins. Brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining. And thank you so much for participating in our online and virtual worship. I pray that the peace of God goes with you and the peace of God will bless you and keep you safe on this journey. Amen.